We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or a grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? we got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're 3-1 and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to a week six edition of the Rotowire College Football Podcast. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Rotowire's lead college football editor, John Joseph McKechnie. John, you alerted me mere moments before we hit record that Les Miles has tested positive for COVID. Uh, this is a story that will no doubt shock the college football landscape uh, ahead of week six, but uh, for the most part, a, a relatively quiet week in college football uh, coming off of what was a really fun week five. We have a, a great slate uh, of week six games ahead of us. Um, you know, quick reaction to, to less miles testing positive. What does this mean uh, for college football this weekend? Uh, you, you know, we'll, ha- we'll have to see uh, that that's the canned answer as with any COVID related thing. Uh, yeah. The report came from Jesse Newell, uh, who's, you know, kind of an ace beat writer for, for Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just hope that his, exposure to the rest of the team wasn't so severe that there there was a major spreading event or anything like that so hopefully you know this can be akin to what happened with florida state where you know mike norvell just has to be away from the team um and that that'll be that and and kansas will be able to to keep playing um I wish that we could have something similar to the hugh freeze incident from last year but right. uh, you know, hospital bed carries a different r- rhetorical weight to it now than it, than it did back then. But I, I need more goofy visuals of coaches coaching from a distance. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's all... exactly what I was kind of getting at here is hopefully we get some sort of like ridiculous. Like, wasn't it a, a high school coach earlier this year who was coaching <laughs> from like a sky lift from, from the lift? The yeah, from he wasn't allowed from on the scissor ground. lift. Yeah. Man. So. I think Les Miles would definitely push for something like that. Just some sort of insane, you know, like, yeah, just build me a trebuchet and, and put me on it. It's like, Les, that's not even functionally pertain- pertinent to, like, 
what coaching a football game would no, put me in the trebuchet. Put me in the dang trebuchet. So I, I want to see something uh, crazy for, from Les on this. I have an idea. Hear me out on this. I got three okay. words for you. Hot air balloon. So just kind of, you know, you pull the where do I invest? A bit. You're just kind of circling around the stadium. You know, he could be hovering like 10 feet above where play is taking place. Uh, you get a little too high. You know, maybe you, you you tie on another sandbag. You get a little too low. You throw one of the sandbags off like a blimp is another possibility. Uh, just kind of stay elevated, stay out of things. The blimp blimp has the um, confined space to it that that um, the hot air balloon that you get fresh circulating air the entire time. Uh, it can be really stylistically pleasing. I'm sure Kansas could whip up a, a hot air balloon with the Jayhawk on it. Yeah, or, or a Jayhawk just, shaped balloon. Yes, something like that. So that I'm I'm here for all of that. That sounds like mm-hmm. the only logical way to to continue on w- with this um, would be less miles um, in a hot air balloon. Um, I know you're not the biggest Simpsons guy, but if they could get like the, the principal Skinner hot air balloon that that's shaped like his butt, uh, that would also be good. <laughs> I do not understand that reference, but I will assume it is topical. I think at least uh, three listeners do. So yeah, good enough. Oh, I'm sure more than that. So on a slightly more serious note, I'm, I'm reading a tweet right now that, that just came across, um, from Sarah Hauer of the journal Sentinel. Uh, I'm in, I'm in Milwaukee, you're in Madison, Wisconsin has recorded 3,132 new cases of COVID-19 on Thursday, and that's as of 1.58 p.m. Central Time. So you would think there's probably going to be more by the end of the day. Ugh. First time the state is over 3,000 new cases in a single day. Um, you know, obviously, Wisconsin is, you know, it's kind of taking the lead, uh, I guess, for the rest of the country in terms of just blowing up these cases, especially in the northeastern part of the state where I'm from, uh, which is extremely disappointing. Um, but it's it's just kind of a <clears throat> kind of an extreme microcosm, I guess, of, of what we're still dealing with. And, you know, talking about less miles, there's going to be more players. There are going to be more coaches throughout the season. Um, for the most part, though, I, I feel like it's gone fairly well. You know, we're six, almost six weeks now into the college football season. And there have been a few select schools where you know you've had games being postponed, postponed again, postponed again. Uh, we had a lot of cancellations early on, but. All, all things considered, I, I think college football has to feel like fairly good about where things are sitting uh, on the whole. And, and as we approach, you know, mid to late October, when when the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are, are going to be reintroduced. Yeah, it, it's gone reasonably well, um, about about as well as you could could expect. And, and, you know, now, you know, as we're recording like that, you know, the covid issue is staring the NFL right in the face. And the NFL has always felt like this monolith that that would press forward no matter what college football to a slightly lesser extent and they've had to postpone games like you mentioned I, I i guess my question is how far can you kick the can down the road before you have to pay the piper i love mixed metaphors like that but again you know it, it's like you know houston is opening their season the night that we're recording the, this episode they've had like five postponements already. Like it, it's crazy. How are you going to expect them to play a full season? And then, you know, I, the real question will be, you know, when rubber meets the road and like a, a power five conference team or number of teams needs to start canceling games or, or something like that, that's when mm-hmm. things could get really, uh, really messy. And that that's when some big decisions will, will be made. But for now, like you said, it's gone about as smoothly as, as you could have hoped for. There have been those obvious bumps in the roads that some of those teams that have really struggled with it, and Georgia Southern being being one of them, uh, having a lot of trouble getting it getting a grip on this. Um, but the honestly, I'd I'd give I'd give college football like a B plus for for how things have gone to to this point. So definitely better than I was expecting. It it hasn't gone on off the rails, and we've had more than a month of game action at this point. So. All things considered, not too not too terrible. But you know, again, like like you mentioned, leading into into this point, with cases blowing up in these states that that don't necessarily have like the big metropolitan areas, and and as we see states uh, start to battle with this, I don't know if it's a second wave or just like the the tail end of this first one, whatever it may be. Um, you just hope that that cases across the country and, and states can can start to get a better lid on, on this but you know before it really affects you know in the real in the real sense and in, in real people but also you know you hope it, it doesn't uh, derail the college football season on a much lighter note so before we get into uh, some of our reactions from week five 
uh, you know, we as a company have, have obviously made a little bit more of a point uh, the last year or so with, you know, kind of the gradual rolling out of, of legalized sports betting. We don't have it in Wisconsin, uh, but we do have it in two neighboring states. One of those is Iowa, where you found yourself last weekend. So if, if you could give me a quick review uh, of your betting experience uh, at the Iowa Sportsbook, uh, I would love that. Yes. So I spent last weekend in Iowa, in Cedar Falls, where, where UNI is, uh, home of Kurt Warner and, and David Johnson, among yeah. others. Um, but I was staying with, with someone who uh, is an Iowa State alum, so it was a fun weekend to begin with. And then on the way back, um, literally right when you cross the Mississippi into Iowa, um, there are sports books and it, it's awesome. And it's, it's very obvious, like, yeah, you're like the soonest that you can like step foot on solid ground in Iowa, you, you got your options set for you. So I went to the Diamond Joe, um, which is in Dubuque and it was great. And there, there's a FanDuel sports book in there. Uh, there, there are a bunch of them across the country in states where there are legalized betting. Uh, you know, they, they set you up pretty easily as far as like getting the app all ready to rock and, and getting you verified and everything. And then you just get to kind of peruse the options. They have a nice setup in there. It's nice and clean. They got big screens all over the place. I mean, it looks not too dissimilar from, you know, the sports books that we've seen on, on the Roto Vegas trips and everything like that. So a really, really nice setup. Um, a lot of fun. Uh, they gave you a bonus for signing up. So that was great. So a little bit of like free bets to, uh, to play around with, or in my case to just completely, uh, blow on saying that like Brian Hill was going to score a touchdown on Monday night, really smart, intelligent betting, uh, like that, but, uh, through some other like college football futures and, and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm pretty excited about those and how those, those might progress. But overall, um, if you're in the, the greater mid upper Midwest area and can, can get to Iowa or get to Dubuque, uh, they get, they got you set up. I, I gotta say, and they're not even paying me to say that. No, they most certainly are not giving us any money, uh, hopefully someday. Um, and hopefully someday we'll be able to do this in the state of Wisconsin, uh, although uh, it's not looking super promising in the short term. Anyway, let's get to week five. Uh, I would say a little bit of a down week uh, relative to the last few um, and, and relative to what we have coming up in week six, which is, like I said, just jam-packed. Uh, but still, a, a lot of top teams in the country were in action last week. Uh, the SEC in particular took center stage. We had Auburn, Georgia. We had South Carolina, Florida. We had Texas A&M, Alabama uh, as some of the headliners. Where do you want to begin? I want to start with with one that that fell just out of out of that reach um, because they were the darlings of of the SEC's opening weekend, Mississippi State, and, and for them to come out and and lose that game to Arkansas. And we, we talked about Arkansas a good bit la last week and everything, but this now when you're Miss State, this is the true Mike Leach experience. Like the the dizzying highs are almost always like just right on schedule, followed by like the just crushing losses. So uh, you know losses to teams that you should not have any business losing to for either because of the philosophy. I mean, the one game that we talked about a ton last year was that Wazoo UCLA game that was just like one of the craziest games ever. And they had such, Wazoo had such a huge lead, but Mike Leach just continued to refuse to run the ball and get the clock down. And it allowed UCLA to come back into that one. This game didn't flow quite that same way. Arkansas was in it the entire time. Um, but yeah, it, it just was another like quick reality check on again the Mike Leach offense and everything and the, and the team it can work in the SEC like it works anywhere but it has fatal flaws to it that will get him beat in in situations where you might not necessarily expect it so it's a you know very attuned to like the Mike Leach brand just expect the unexpected when it when it comes to Miss State and I, I love it it's still going to be really fun all year but um it, for anyone that was rushing to the to the uh, betting parlor to put down on, on Miss State uh, winning the West or anything like that, maybe uh, maybe hold off. Yeah, stay away from Dubuque if you're thinking that. I mean, how how did this happen? How do you go from scoring forty plus forty four points on LSU in your first first game in the SEC um, to only putting up fourteen against Arkansas? I mean, usually, like you mentioned, some of these these Mike Leach defeats. Uh, the infamous one uh, against UCLA in the past, it's usually the defense giving up 60 plus points, something ridiculous like that. The defense gave up 21. Uh, you know, Felipe Franks had a nice day, but 
he did throw two touchdowns, but he, he barely got over 200 yards. I mean, Arkansas uh, rushed for less than two yards per carry as a team. It, it wasn't a dominant offensive performance by any means for the Razorbacks. I mean, KJ Costello, you look at the passing line, it looks good, 43 of 59, but three of those 16 incompletions were picks. And, and certainly that was the difference maker, but it's just hard for me to imagine, you know, Kylan Hill last week just running wild, uh, especially in the passing game all over LSU. He has one carry for seven yards in this game, didn't even have a reception. I mean, what what happened to this Mississippi State offense? Okay, so I got some, you know, some interesting nuggets. I, I go on a, a radio segment every week in, in Ruston, Louisiana, with, with the guys down at Sports Talk. Um, Sean Fox, great guy. Um, we talk a little bit about SEC football usually when I when I go on there, and they brought up a very very interesting point. Barry Odom is the is the defensive coordinator for Arkansas. He used to be the head coach at Mizzou for a long time, and his defenses stifled Mike Leach's offenses back in the Texas Tech days. Mm-hmm. So that's something that that I guess we didn't fully consider going into last week, and and I think the again just like the the cool aura of Miss State going into LSU and beating the Tigers the way they did. It's like, okay, how are they possibly going to lose to Arkansas? They they have, or Barry Odom has a way of stifling that air raid offense and making it, uh, just taking away the run after the catch, taking away the deep ball. I think they run, you know, someone that knows a little bit more into the deeper X's and O's than I, but basically... They ran a lot more zone to kind of slow down the the air raid passing attack, whereas on the other side, and maybe this is a pro- going to be a problem for LSU moving forward, and maybe this means that this that his tenure will be short. But Bo Pelini just did not adjust whatsoever. He's like, nope, we're playing man. We are playing man. We we keep getting burned. I don't care. We are playing man, and it just didn't work out for LSU. Um, Arkansas a little bit more adaptable, and and they clearly had a defensive mind in in place that knew how to at least um, slow down the, the Mike Leach offense. And I, I wonder how quickly and how um, ably one-to-one other defensive coaches around the SEC will be able to to pick up on what Arkansas did and employ in their own way to, to get um, this misstate offense you know, under wraps a little bit. All right, moving on. I have one question for you. Yes. Is Texas back? Um, let me check my watch here. Uh, no. No, nope, they're not. They're not. Um, correct. That is correct. Okay. Yeah. It's just ma- just making sure there. Um yeah, they're they are like Sam Ellinger is playing at, at like a fringe Heisman level, but th- this team, I don't know what it is. They just can't get it figured out on defense, even though they've been cr- recruiting defense very well. Um just a, a weird game. They they just let TCU hang around that entire game and, and outplay them really when when there is no business of that happening especially with that game being at texas so tcu gary patterson seems to have uh, at least tom herman's number they've beaten texas a fair amount of times that over the course of this past decade so um texas has a tcu problem and and now you know you you I don't think that you're feeling any worse about Tom, Tom, uh, Herman than you than you did like around this time last year or anything like that. But maybe it, the the glass ceiling is setting in a little bit here, where where even still, uh, Tom Herman might not be that that chosen one to get Texas into the back zone. Um, that they'll be close. That, that as long as they have Ellinger back there and, and he's healthy, like that, they they're going to be able to put up points. And, and hang around with almost anybody, uh, especially this week. We'll we'll get into that in a, in a minute. But bottom line, I, I mean, what do you what do you think of this Texas team? And did, did you watch that game? I, I watched some of it. I was kind of flipping back and forth. Um, but it's uh, Texas, as we said last week. Texas had the inside track to the Who's Back Bowl. You know, they were. I think they were leading the way heading Absolutely. into last week. It, and these slip-ups are just inexplicable. You know, I mean, it's not like TCU is a bad team necessarily, but yeah, at the same time, you said Texas has had a TCU problem in the past. It doesn't excuse it. I mean, you have, like you said, a borderline, you know, guy, if Ellinger's not playing at a Heisman level, he's playing at a, what, Davey O'Brien award level? I don't know. He's right there. I mean, four mm-hmm. touchdowns through the air in this game, uh, had a decent day on the ground, only eight carries, but but got to 49 yards, had a 36-yard run in this one. I don't I don't even know where to go with Texas. I mean, I, I will say I think the biggest mistake they could make, and I, I don't think they're close to doing this or anything, but you know, if, if they were to pull the plug on Tom Herman, I, I think that would be the bigger mistake because yeah. 
this this feels like the right hire. It's felt like the right hire all along. It, it's very possible that it's not. You know, maybe we all kind of drank the Kool Aid on Herman too early. But um, I, I think the worst thing they could do is just kind of get into that coaching cycle, like we talked about on this podcast last week, where the coaching it's not like vortex. The, it's not like the right. It, it is a vortex. It's not like the NFL or the NBA where you can switch coaches and and sometimes that can just kind of flip the switch and guys respond and schemes change and all of a sudden you're four and 12 one year and then you're 12 and four the next in college football that just sets off such a chain reaction uh, a domino effect of of recruits and program Mm -hmm. reputation that that just puts you in the florida state zone where all of a sudden you're starting your third quarterback through five weeks of the season um so i I don't think texas you know it's not a panic situation necessarily um but at the same time i I think you you kind of talked about it with the defense like I, I think it was Matt Leiner uh, was on Ryan Rosillo's pod this week and mentioned that Texas has not had a top two round pick on defense since I, I want to say he said Sergio uh, 20, 2015. Uh. And that was Malcolm Brown, the defensive end. He went the last pick uh, to to New England, thirty uh, second in twenty fifteen. But then before that, you know, the first the last first round pick that they've had uh, other than Brown uh, on the defensive side was Kenny Vaccaro in twenty thirteen. So I mean, this is a team that. You know, historically has has been known for first defensive backs. You know, going all the way back, especially to that previous decade with with guys like Earl Thomas. You know, Michael Huff. I think back in the day was was mm-hmm. a top ten pick. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, Quentin neither Jammer. side of the ball, Quentin Jammer. Neither side of the ball has produced great NFL talent, and that's not always a one to one, you know, indicator of, of where the program's at. But I think it's because it's a bigger problem when you're bringing in guys who at at the time that they're signing with Texas are on a, you know, top three round, day one, day two type of trajectory. And then a lot of these guys like aren't even sniffing that by the time they leave the program. It's very bizarre. That, that's a really, you know, kind of damning point when it comes to the player development coming out of Austin right now. And that, right. that, that spans, like you said, with the timeline, that spans, you know, back to late stage Mac Brown or, you know, Char- Charlie Strong, of course, and into Tom Herman. So, this is Herman's what fourth season there, so um, we're we're starting to see if if he's going to be able to to churn out those guys. I mean, even I think a good example too is like Caden Stearns. Like he's someone kind of like last year with Grant Delpit. Like we've heard so much about him. He's a he's a safety that that just makes a ton of plays. This guy cannot miss. And all of a sudden, like where's Caden Stearns? Like he why is he? You know, why is he kind of anonymous now all of a sudden after having this dynamite freshman season where he's, you know, getting all these accolades and going to be on the all these watch lists and like what ends up happening there? So it's bit, very bizarre the the way that uh, things have gone with Texas as far as like get like you said, getting those guys um, to the NFL and, and making them, you know, the high picks that uh, at least when they are as recruits, you know, the, the path that they should be on. It's ridiculous. All right. Elsewhere. In week five, um, well, actually, no, let's not go elsewhere quite yet. What, what do you make of the Big 12 right now with, with Texas faltering, with, with Oklahoma State uh, faltering again against Iowa State last week? I mean, right now, I think you have, what, five teams that if you look at the odds to win the conference, you know, five teams are all at, at plus 300. You know, you have TCU lurking a little bit further down. Uh, is it fair to say Iowa State might be in the driver's seat right now based on what we saw last week? How crazy is that? They lost to Ar- they lost Arkansas State like pretty convincingly in that or not Arkansas State, uh, Louisiana, pretty convincingly in, in that first week uh, that the power five teams are playing. And now they might be in the catbird seat. Absolutely insane. So, so yeah, like you said, you got four teams at, checking in at plus 300. Then you got TCU lurking at plus 800. They've obviously lost to Iowa State. So that that hurts them a little bit. But um, after the way they played last week and the way that Oklahoma has played so far since conference play, um, I like TCU as a dark horse. I think that um, Max Dugan looks like he's really, really turned a corner. So um, as far as like long shots for winning the conference, I, I do like TCU. Um, but among like the, the current betting favorites, I'm, I'm still on Texas. I know that Oklahoma State has this path cleared out for them. Um, with Oklahoma losing twice, with Texas going down, um, with Iowa State, you know, definitely having their warts, everything is set up for Oklahoma State, and especially they got Chuba Hubbard back on track last week, which was huge. Um, they still haven't had Spencer Sanders back at 100% from that ankle injury, so it sets up really nicely for OK State. 
but I, I just can't shake some of the, like the the rough outings that they've had thus far. Maybe last week was just what they needed, that get-right game against Kansas, and, and things will be clicked back into place for the Pokes moving forward. And I, I always liked the fact that they had a ton of returning production on defense this year to, to where, like, okay, like not only is the offense going to be insane with, with Sanders, Wallace, Hubbard, but they also have a ton on defense. I still... I still lean Texas overall out of the out of those top four, and I still like TCU as that you know potential team that can make a run from here on forward. Um, but the pressure is on Oklahoma State because of the way that things have set up through the through the early part of the Big Twelve schedule. John, how about that dog's defense? Yo, right? <laughs> like, I know it's good. They so. They've been trying forever to get the defensive line to get to the like the Bama status of like the early or early and mid part of, of the last decade. And I, I can't say that it's it's there necessarily, but it's really, really good. It's it's really hard for opposing offensive lines to move those guys around. Jordan Davis, uh, the freshman Jalen Carter, um, Georgia, even at one point, totally heat check move. They, they brought both those guys in on, on offense and put them at the end of the line and just told Auburn that they were going to run it that way. And they did. And they scored a touchdown. Um, so they got big huge bodies in the middle that that can always kind of change the the complexity or the you know the calculus of a game and on the back end like the secondary is so experienced i mean they did lose richard lecount to that terrible targeting call at the end of the first half um and they still were able to to stifle that auburn offense maybe chad morris had a lot to do with that but the the dogs are just really really deep on defense and really really talented and that they're playing exactly the way that Kirby Smart wants them to and I think that they've also gotten a bit of development from this guy Tyson Campbell who was in lockstep with with Seth Williams for the majority of last week's game Seth Williams got hurt a little bit towards the end of that one but Campbell was with him pretty much the entire time blanketing him in, in a way that most SEC teams like that they need to roll some coverage to help slow down Seth Williams and, and Georgia was able to most Mostly on an island, keep Tyson Campbell on him and have success with it, and that that bodes well for when Georgia goes up against other teams with elite um, receivers. Because I think Seth Williams really is one of the best receivers in the conference and the country. Um, so again, this will be something that really, really gets tested um, in, in week or. I get all confused with the weeks now because it's like it'll be week four of the SEC schedule uh, when they go and play Alabama and Tuscaloosa. So that'll that'll be the big test, of course. But um, this week will be a big test of the the Georgia run defense again because Tennessee is running the hell out of the ball right now and they have a big offensive line. So that's going to be a great war in the trenches. But I do feel like Georgia's defense is going to be able to keep them in games uh, for the rest of the season, basically, just just on the, on their side alone. If they can get you know competent offense the way they did last week and, and you know take advantage of short fields, turnovers, that sort of thing, um, that, then I think that the Georgia will be in a good spot. So big wins for Clemson, Alabama, Florida. None of those three really tested all that much in week five. Anything else you want to hit from this week before we look ahead? Um, Central Florida um, taking a spill kind of out of nowhere was was very surprising. I thought that this Central Florida team looked um, probably as good as it has since that magical 2017 McKenzie Milton run. I really feel like Dylan Gabriel has it has it going on. Uh, I love those receivers that they have at Central Florida as well, even with Trey Nix being injured. But it was interesting watching that broadcast, and like it was almost like the broadcast knew that Tulsa was going to do this. And it's like why why was nobody talking about how Tulsa, for whatever reason, has Central Florida's number? And like I'm kind of putting it in air quotes, but I think that the last couple of times that Tulsa and Central Florida have squared off it's been Tulsa coming out ahead and it's like a very weird Achilles heel to have when, when it's Tulsa and you, and you're central, yes, you're, you're this stage central Florida. But I mean, that's, that's just what it was. And it was very, very surprising um, to see that happen on, on Saturday night. I, I really felt dizzy watching that and, and the end of the Iowa state game is like, I can't believe either of these things are happening, but they're both happening. So that, that was wild. And then um, the Trey Lance, um, showcase didn't really go according to plan but I, I don't think that he's at any risk of, of losing the draft stock necessarily I mean Cent Central Arkansas who they were playing against had played several games already this year this was North Dakota State's uh, one and only game this fall before they pick things back up in the spring so 
a lot of pressure on Trey Lance. I mean, it's you can't feel great for for him after that game, but if you're yeah, that, it didn't go so- super well. And no. I mean, I I know that Central Arkansas defense is legit dogs. It, yeah. it did not go great. It went about as badly as it could have statistically. Mm-hmm. So. I mean, with, with that, I, I think that at the very least coming out of that one with him, uh, obviously like declaring for the draft earlier this week. Now, I think it's it's more of an open discussion. Once you get past Lawrence and Fields, who the QB three is in this class. And I think that as we see other quarterbacks from around the country be able to raise their stocks by putting together like impressive games on their resume while, while Lance only basically has last year to point to, um, I wouldn't be shocked if Lance gets uh, kind of surpassed by two, maybe even three quarterbacks. All right. So let's look ahead to week six like i said another jam-packed slate uh where do you want to begin here um i, I think F- florida versus a&m is an interesting one i mean as you saw i mean for, from your perspective how good does this florida offense look it looks a little too good almost uh i mean it's it's as good as the florida offense has looked i think since the urban meyer years is that safe yes. to say at least consistently absolutely yeah, yeah I don't, it's, that's probably not even a take at this point. But I, mean, I don't I don't know if Florida's offense has strung together two games that have looked this dominant, regardless of opponent. You know, we're even factoring in like some of the FCS teams that they faced back in the day. Like, I mean, these are guys running wide open, you know, things that you don't often see uh, in SEC type of games. But the athletes that Florida has, um, I, I don't think it's quite, you know, Percy Harvin, Jeff Demps, uh, that, that whole crew, Chris Rainey back in the day. Um, but... Kyle Pitts is, you know, the number one player at his position in the entire country. Kyle Trask looks very much legit. I don't know that they're number four team in the country good just yet, but uh, the good thing is they're, they're going to have a couple chances to prove it. And, you know, I, I think A&M, it probably isn't, isn't going to be like the, the ultimate barometer for Florida, but tough game on the road. You know, they are six and a half point favorites, but um, a huge opportunity, I, I think, for Florida to, to kind of add another mark to that resume. Did you know, and maybe this is true, maybe this is not, but according to Kyle Trask, he was named after Kyle Field. No way. Way, because he's from no Texas. Way. Uh-huh. So, so his parents like really wanted him to go to A&M? Apparently, maybe. Uh, or, you know, he, you know, he never started, I, I guess, at Manville because he was behind um, Derek King. But yeah. Um, yeah, and Florida obviously gave, gave him the scholarship opportunity. Maybe A&M didn't. Maybe they, they were still like in the throes of having too many quarterbacks right. and not knowing what to do with it or whatever it was. But, um, yeah, I imagine that Trask is going to bring that A game for this one. I, I think that this could be a tough one for, for A&M. And, um, you know, I got asked this on, the ra- on that same radio spot earlier this week about, you know, how A&M fans might be feeling about Jimbo at this point. And it's like you got to have a signature win at some point. Like it's – it, the chances – at least coming into this season, for, like you, if you squinted hard enough, I think that you could have talked yourself into A and M making a run at the West because you had yeah. Alabama maybe not having their best teams in in recent years. Although I think that's now disputable. Um, you had LSU coming off the the massive year. You figured some regression was going to come with all the departures, um, the move from Joe Burrow to Miles Brennan, and so on, uh, losing Joe Brady. Um, Auburn replacing both often both offensive and defensive lines like the the door theoretically was open for A&M especially with with a fourth year starting quarterback but it just doesn't feel like it, it's really it's not even really that close right now um, for, for A&M May, maybe in a year or two but again the, they'll have been bro- it won't be happening under Kellen Mond I, I, I don't feel like so I, I think that this this is going to be another game where A&M you know, they, they try hard, they put up a good fight and they lose by a touchdown or two touchdowns in, in, in this case, potentially with, with how, how well Florida is clicking on offense. You talk about needing that signature win. And I, I think glancing at the schedule, you have to beat Alabama or you have to beat Florida. Right. Because I think beyond that, you know, especially if you want to have a chance to to win your division in the SEC, it's it's not inconceivable that they could go undefeated after this weekend. You know, it's Mississippi State, Arkansas, South Carolina. Tennessee, Ole Miss, LSU, Auburn to finish out. And those last two teams uh, you know, look like they've maybe taken a step back, especially LSU. There's a pretty good chance that they'll, you know, they'll have an advantage in most of those matchups. But, you know, when you lose by 28 
at Alabama. Uh, I, I think that's kind of the the type of wake up call where it's like, all right, maybe this isn't going to be that year. Yeah, unless you know the the gulf between you and really really competing for 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 a natty, and it, obviously it's really tough to go into Tuscaloosa and get a win, but. You know, you you hope that uh, you put up a better fight than that, and I understand right. also that that they lost their best receiver uh, who opted out and everything like that. But even still, it just feels like they are less than the sum of their parts. I think that that um, Sumlin recruited well, and I think that Jimbo has recruited very well there, and, and yet they still are less than the sum of their parts. So it, I think that this this coming week against Florida, you know, unless I'm proven wrong here, and I, I often am, but I feel like this is just going to be another reality check for AM. A couple other games uh, to monitor in that early window on Saturday. We have Virginia Tech at North Carolina. We have Missouri at LSU, although that game will be played in Columbia due to the hurricane uh, set to hit the Gulf Coast uh, this Saturday. Uh, and then Texas at Oklahoma, which is always going to be a fun game no matter what. You, know, you, you could play this game at the end of the year. Both teams could be 0-10, and it would still matter, and people will still care. Uh, but some of the luster, at least, has been worn off of this game uh, based on what happened uh, the last two weeks for Oklahoma and, and certainly last week for Texas, like we just talked about. Uh, I do want to backtrack, though, and, and go back to Virginia Tech, North Carolina. UNC comes into this game ranked in the top 10. You know, of course, the you know the Big Ten and, and the Pac-12 maybe have a little bit of something to do with that. But the number eight team in the country, they're 2-0. and Neither win has been overly convincing by any means. And, and they're coming off of a kind of another weird game. Uh, against Boston College last week, where you know, they win that one 26-22. They score five points in the second half and you know end up getting a uh, basically a, a, a missed two-point conversion yes. uh, return the other way for two points to ultimately seal the game. So, I, I, I mean, credit to North Carolina, I guess, for, for winning some close games early on. But uh, I, I don't think Sam Howell's looked quite as polished as we thought. And and I don't think North Carolina has has had quite the start that some people expected. No, because we we thought that you know for a guy like Sam Howell who came out and threw 38 touchdowns as a freshman last year, it's like, okay, that this can only get better, right? Like that was just his freshman year. He has all of his targets back. Like the rest of the ACC might not be all that good. And, and I mean the the teams that he's faced, Syracuse and um, Boston College, not really great on defense. So it, it's very weird how how much this North Carolina offense has taken a step in the wrong direction. And, and again, like I said, you had guys like Deami Brown and Daz Newsom both back and, and neither of them are really, really producing Newsom, especially Deami Brown has still been fine overall, but they haven't gotten Newsom going and therefore they, they really just haven't gotten going as an offense. So I don't know if Virginia tech is like that get right spot, but, um, or like slump buster type of, of setup. But it, it is something where if you can get things moving against Virginia Tech, that's a very, very good sign for you. I know, I know they don't have Bud Foster calling that defense anymore or anything, but something's got to give with, with UNC as far as the offense is concerned because it, once like the, the Pac-12 and the Big Ten like re-enter the fold, if UNC keeps playing this unimpressive brand of football, sort of like an undue amount of... Um, overconfidence where it's like you think that you can like UNC hasn't earned it to the point where they can coast through games like that. That's they're they're so far from that. So hopefully Mac Brown isn't letting that settle in, uh, at least on the offensive side of the ball, that 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 can't be the case that they they need to keep pushing. They need to build off of last year um, because, yeah, the the offense is too talented to be playing like this. Um, on the other side, though, that their defense is legit, though, and I, I will say yeah. that, they, that that is going to continue to be a thing this year. So I, I forget who their defensive coordinator is, but whoever that is, uh, he's doing a great job in, in keeping them uh, going. Yeah, good job, man, whoever, yeah. whoever that man is. I, I agree. And, and I mean, credit to Boston College for sticking in that game. I mean, JV and Dane, Ron Dane's son, didn't even carry the ball in this game. And they still and, and put they up 22 still, points. On they were defense. still close. Yeah. Unbelievable. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's almost never going to be the case. Um, but, you know, a, a, an interesting game nonetheless. Uh, any thoughts on on Missouri, LSU, or, or Texas, Oklahoma? Um, Mizzou, LSU, I guess the only thing being the, the – the, or the most interesting – part about this game has already happened with, with the change of locations. I, I think that other than that, uh, Missouri is kind of a ways away from, from being truly competitive. They've got a bit of a 
revolving door at quarterback. I, I think they're going to settle on Basilak, but not totally sure. Um, yeah, it's just it, Tigers versus Tigers, I guess, is, is fun for the, for the zoologists yeah. out there. But yeah, other than other than that, not not the most exciting matchup. I, I think Texas OU. Um, obviously, like you said, some some luster has been taken off with both of these teams coming off of losses. For from where you're sitting. What does this game mean for for Oklahoma? Because if you lose three straight in the Big Twelve, right. and you're Oklahoma, like what what what's going on? I mean, in some ways, they have been kind of riding high, almost to an unrealistic level. Not not in terms of wins and losses, but in terms of you know having the quarterback play. I guess that they've had over the last or the previous three seasons uh, has has been to a standard that no other team has really matched, I guess, LSU last year. But consistently, I, I think they've been a little bit spoiled with the quarterback play. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think we, we expected better, certainly, out of Spencer Rattler. Uh, he has the kind of the same type of pedigree as a lot of these other quarterbacks who've, who've succeeded for Oklahoma. And, in fact, he might have a better pedigree than some of them. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's going to be kind of a challenge, I guess, to Oklahoma and to Lincoln Riley and, and to the rest of that offensive staff. Like, can you still conduct the same type of offense that we've become used to out of Oklahoma when you don't have arguably the best quarterback in the country. That That is a good point. Yeah. Like just being able to bank on, on Heisman level quarterback play and then right. letting everything else fro- flow from there. Yeah. What happens when it's just merely like all big 12 level. Um, so yeah, Oklahoma living in that right. reality now and, and Rattler uh, need, I mean the, the turnovers were a bigger problem against K state, but that, you know, certainly wasn't helping uh, last week either at, at Iowa State. So that this one, this is going to be, that's going to be a tough matchup for him. I, I think even though we were just bemoaning Texas a little bit early in, in the show and their defense, they're going to bring it for for this game. Like they they are definitely getting up for this one. This is Sam Ellinger's presumably his last Red River uh, rivalry game. So um, they're going to bring it, and this could be like a obviously like it, no one it, no one in in Norman is on the hot seat or anything like that, but people are going to like give Lincoln Riley a funny look. I think if, if they drop a third straight and, and people are going to question whether, whether Rattler is the answer, if he, if he's dropped three straight in a way that Oklahoma quarterback hasn't done. And basically since I can remember um, this, uh, this all of course uh, sets up for Caleb Williams to be the guy immediately next year, of course. Mm-hmm. So we have Tennessee at Georgia in the afternoon window. That's a two thirty central time start uh, from Athens, Georgia, 12 and a half point favorite over under relatively low, uh, just 43 points. Uh, what, what are you expecting from the dogs here who have won uh, the past three games uh, against Tennessee by a combined score of 122 to 26? Yeah, there was an exercising of the demons in, in 2017 um, after the that Hail Mary in, in Athens in 2016. Um, the, the next year was a pretty convincing uh, beat down. And then uh, last year, I, I just didn't think that Tennessee really had like the the, the talent gap was still really wide. I think it, uh, Jeremy Pruitt has narrowed it. I think this is um, the, the window is starting to open for Tennessee this year. Um, this is a huge game for them to kind of establish where they are in the East. Um, I don't think that they're going to be able to win this game, Tennessee, but I think they're going to make this one pretty close. I mean, that the line on this one seems to suggest that, um, you know, less than two touchdowns. I think that number has even come down a little bit. Um, it's going to be hard for, Tennessee basically to do anything other than like ugly the if they can ugly this game up enough and maybe put some pressure on presumably Stetson Bennett um, then they can and maybe force some turnovers here they can make it work and, and potentially even get the win but what they do on offense in terms of like leaning on you with their giant offensive line and, and with Eric Gray and, and Ty Chandler um, with, with Jared Garantano also back there at quarterback I don't think they're going to be able to do like they're not going to play bully ball against Georgia with any sort of effectiveness. And I think that's probably what's ultimately going to get Tennessee beat here. They also don't really have the athletes on the outside as far as their receivers go. They're good, but they're 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 a cut below. So I think that the, the Georgia's secondary is going to be able to, to keep them in check. So I think, you know, there, there's a lot of other subplots to this game, some of which I'm I'm not sure that you're aware of or not, but like. There was a very odious departure from the University of Georgia from from offensive lineman Cade Mays, a, a Knoxville native who uh, really made a lot of people mad by going to Georgia in the first place. Um, ends up back at Tennessee. Um, there is 
in terms of getting him immediately eligible, it was a very, very um, public kind of just a lot of a lot of haymakers being thrown between uh, Georgia and Tennessee about um, the 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 culture at Georgia and it, was it toxic the way that, that Mays was saying it was. Um, Sounds I, like he just wasn't cut out for for the dogs. I I guess not. Um, there was also a, a weird incident at, at a Georgia event where Cade Mays's father got his finger stuck in a folding chair and had to get it amputated or something like just a whole bunch of weird instances. Uh... So I don't I don't know. There, there's going to be that, and and Mays is eligible to play in this game. I think he made his debut um, last week. There, there's been some some barbs between Jeremy Pruitt and Kirby Smart in the in the past. So this actually had of the Georgia Tennessee rivalry. This has the most juice that it's had since 2016. I want to say with during that good uh, Josh Dobbs, um, Alvin Kamara. Um, season for Tennessee. So th- this has a lot going for it in a way that this rivalry has been missing for the last three seasons. So I'm actually very excited for this one. All right. I don't have too much to say about Bama Ole Miss. Uh, that's the ESPN featured game late, uh, 6.30 p.m. Central start. Uh, Alabama favored by 23 and a half on the road. We're also treated to Florida State at Notre Dame. Uh, likely just another bloodbath for Florida State as they just kind of continue this walk of shame through the season. <laughs> uh, but I do want to focus on, yeah, I, I do want to focus on the, uh, by far the the game that I think everyone's eyes will be on uh, in the late window, Miami at Clemson. Uh, Clemson is a two touchdown favorite at home. Uh, the last time, John, that both the Miami Hurricanes and the Tennessee Volunteers, uh, the team we were just talking about, um, kind of both in that, that who's back uh, bowl, at least on the watch list, the last time that those two schools played in top 10 matchups on the same day was in 2004. So this, this is a monumental uh, type of situation here uh, with both of those teams um, you know, having a lot on the line this weekend. But I, I would argue that there's more on the line for Miami. And, you know, again, that, that spread indicates that this is not a game that, that everyone is expecting Miami to win. Uh, but this is one of those games where you know, we've seen it with Texas over the years. Uh, we've seen it with USC over the years. We've seen it with this Miami team over the years. These are the type of games you have to win. If you want to officially declare yourself back, you can't just go eight and two, win all the games you're supposed to win, and then lose the two that you're supposed to lose. Like every now and then, at least, you have to win a game like this. And I mean, this would be the biggest biggest win in in Miami's program in a very long time. Man, yeah. And for the first time in a long time, like even that 2017 season with Miami where, where they played really well, that they, they had it all set up for them. Uh, going into the last week of the season, they blew it against Pitt. This is the first time that I, I feel like Miami legitimately has that chance to be back, and I, I think it's because of their their trenches. Like that, their their front seven is nasty. That they, they have this kid that was the number one overall recruit at UCLA a couple of years ago, had to sit out last year for transfer rules, but he's there, so he's a bit of a game record. They have some other uh, serious dudes on that front seven, and they can run the hell out of the ball. I mean, they got. Um, they got Cameron Harris, one of the most explosive running backs in in the country. You got Derek King. You got Jalen Knighton, the, the freshman. Um, they got so much to to do. But the problem is, if Clemson gets ahead of them, I wonder if Miami can play catch up. But if they if Miami keeps it close um, and and doesn't let or maybe even builds an early lead, I think they have a very legitimate chance at winning this one. But if Clemson gets ahead, I think it's over. Um, mm-hmm. If Clemson starts hot, which they definitely could. Um, Obviously, we know Trevor Lawrence and this entire team. It's just an insane top to bottom, so deep, so fast, so well coached. But there is a, a way, there's a path for Miami to to actually get this done. Whether they will or not, I don't know. But I think that they, I feel good about them covering this one. Um, I think that they can definitely keep this one close, with, definitely under that those two touchdowns like the line um, suggests. So this is, this is a very, very exciting game. I'm, I'm really actually like way more pumped than this one for this one that, than I thought I would be coming into the season, just because I think that Miami has legitimately turned a corner potentially. I, I think so too. It's interesting. You have, you have to throw in the potentially at the end because we've, I feel like we've been to this exact same point with Miami like three or four times in the last 15 years. And usually it hasn't gone very well, uh, but I'm with you. I, I, this is the game I'm most excited for thus far in the season. And then there will probably be one or two that supplant it uh, when it's all said and done. I mean, that, that Wisconsin, Illinois game on the mm-hmm. 24th uh, is Circled. one of them that I'm that keep. Yeah. Circle that one uh, revenge game. But 
this is going to be great. Yeah. I mean, I, I keep having to remind myself, like, this is probably going to go poorly for Miami. Don't get too excited. But, and I, I don't have anything against Clemson. Like, I, I love watching Clemson. Um, I, I generally just really like those high-level teams. Like, I, I never really cared who won between Clemson and Alabama because you just knew you were going to see an awesome game with insane skill position talent that was just really fun to watch. So mm-hmm. I don't think I'm going to be actively rooting against Clemson, but I, I, I think I will mind be. mind seeing them lose. Deep down, I'll be pulling. I don't know. I don't, I don't like, I don't hate Clemson at all. I, I, no. I like seeing the better team win, but I, I would like for Miami, I guess, deep down to be the better team this week. I mean, just because like it's been such a cakewalk for Clemson basically yeah. the last five years in the ACC to to get into the playoff, it'd be nice to see them struggle in the regular season for once. For crying out loud, like <sighs> it has been tough. I know, and uh, I mean, this is is this their biggest regular season game of this run? Is that fair to say? Am I am I missing one? Um, at least I've... in the in the ACC, yes. I think that there is the some Louisville billing game. for. For the um for the A and M game, not last year but two years ago, that that ended up actually being pretty close, and I think that yeah. was right around the point where they had to turn away from Kelly Bryant and and commit to Trevor Lawrence full time. Um, that that oh, I would Bryant. say was 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 about it. I have not heard the name Kelly Bryant in a very long time. <laughs> yeah, Seems like um, forever ago. Yeah, he had a pretty anonymous final year at, at Mizzou, unfortunately, but. Um, yeah, he definitely definitely wasn't better than Trevor Lawrence. We we know that now, as if that was ever. Oh, we'll a see. Jerry's still out. He, he hasn't finished up yet. <laughs> All right, let's get to DFS week okay. six. Um, I mean, packed slate means uh, another packed DFS slate. Thirteen games on the DraftKings main this week. As always, we begin at the quarterback position. Uh, Zach Wilson of BYU. Maybe not somebody a lot of people know about, but he is the highest salary quarterback this week at ninety five hundred, going up against UTSA. You got Ellinger at 9,200. You got Spencer Rattler coming off the two straight losses at 8,900. Kyle Trask at 85. Casey Thompson uh, at 8,000. Where, 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 where do you make of this this top um, top five group of quarterbacks, and specifically Zach Wilson, who you know even I would not have expected to be priced this highly. Right. So when you look at the numbers, it makes a little bit more sense, though. And, and I know that the competition he's faced thus far not great. But it's not like he's facing particularly good com- competition right now, and I I feel like BYU, in a year where where some crazy stuff is going on, they might try to like start a Zach Wilson for Heisman campaign. So they're gonna they're gonna let him rip this entire game. And so far, he's completing like almost eighty percent of his passes with like a thirteen point one YPA. He's he's thrown for six touchdowns in three games on seventy two attempts. And he's run for five scores, so he's got that mix of athleticism and just like deadly surgical accuracy, and also just having complete command of this offense. So UTSA coming in here is kind of just getting fed to the wolves, and, and so um, it's it makes it tough because the pricing is really really tight. I I, I think that's my big takeaway for for this slate. Really, really tight pricing. It's hard to find values. So fitting 9,500 is a lot tougher than it was earlier on in the season. But I think it's going to be worth it when it comes to Wilson, um, just because he is just on that ridiculous tear right now where he he's like other than Kyle Trask. I don't know if any quarterback is playing better than him right now. We talked about Sam Howell earlier and, and the struggles uh, for this UNC offense relatively through the first two games. If, if you do want to save a little bit of money, I mean, you're talking a $2,500 difference between Zach Wilson uh, and Sam Howell, who's at 7,000. Is this the week that things click for UNC going up against Virginia Tech? That, you know, that that's a question that you need to answer for yourself when you're, when you're putting your lineup together, but I'm not going to be, <laughs> I'm hopefully not going to miss out on the week where this UNC offense clicks. So I will continue, especially with the pricing for these UNC guys, not just Sam Howell, but also uh, Deami Brown and and uh, Daz Newsom, both being like 5,600 and 5,400 combined. Like that's such a cheap UNC stack compared to where you would have thought it was going to be um, earlier th- earlier this season. So I don't know if this is the exact week where, where it happens, although Virginia Tech has had a lot of trouble with where had a lot of depth problems with their inactives. They've had some COVID issues. So if that ends up being the case, maybe this does set up for UNC um, finally getting it into gear. So I'm not going heavy on UNC stacks, but I'm definitely making at least one of my lineups with them in mind because I think that it's only a matter of time. 
Um, and maybe maybe that time will never come that this year, but I think that it will. Um, last season was too good to just write them off after after two kind of shaky games, one of which, you know, was coming after like a month long layoff uh, last week. Mm-hmm. So um, keep the faith and uh, definitely c- consider that one. And just to just to run through like a couple other quarterbacks I like. If you're going below 7K, a um, couple interesting ones, Colin Hill of South Carolina and Brennan Armstrong of Virginia. Colin Hill and Brennan Armstrong, like both of them ranked second and third among uh, quarterbacks that have played uh, two or fewer games. So you do you, you need to put some conditions there. But, uh, you know, you also can't like lo- lump in like the Houston Baptist quarterback and his like 300 attempts into the player pool for this. But basically they're they're throwing it upwards of 40 times a game. And I think that both of them have pretty favorable matchups. Uh, Virginia going against Duke, um, Colin Hill and, and South Carolina going up against Vandy. Um, so I think that that's a lot of bites at the apple against Vanderbilt if you're Colin Hill. So I like him a lot. And then Brennan Armstrong, if you need like a tiebreaker between the two, Brennan Armstrong does run the ball, unlike Colin Hill. So keep that in mind. Um, so those are my two like favorite sub 7K guys um, to look at. Um, I'm not looking at the, at the Georgia game. I, I think that in general, I'm going to stick to the ACC or the Big 12 for my quarterbacks. Um, and it, um, just because of the, the weather factor, you mentioned Hurricane Delta earlier. Um, so tr- weather will be something that you need to keep an eye on. And then also with Texas Tech and Kansas State, both of them might be rolling with their uh, backup quarterbacks because both of them got, got injured um, last week. So keep that in mind as well. So at the running back position, uh, we are led by Brees Hall at Iowa State. Uh, a pretty decent golf between he and Khalil Herbert at Virginia Tech. Uh, you know, $500 difference, 8600 to 8100 at the top. We got Deuce Vaughn at Arkansas, um, Zamir White at Georgia. Uh, excuse me, Deuce Vaughn at, at Kansas State. I don't know what I'm looking at right now. Zamir White at Georgia and Sir Roderick Thompson uh, at Texas Tech rounding out the top five. Um, you know, as always, we, we kind of like to start with the top five guys. Do you see value there? And if not, uh, you know, how much further down the board are you going to go? Yes. So that this is a week where it's hard to find that sub five K running back. Um, but it's also a little bit, it's a little bit easier to fade that top tier. I, I think Khalil Herbert has a sneaky, tough matchup against UNC. We talked about their defense earlier. Um, Deuce Vaughn, I know that TCU has struggled to stop the run so far, um, but I, I think they can really key in on stopping the run, especially if Skylar Thompson is out. So I'm a little bit less inclined uh, on Vaughn hitting value, but I, I've, I'm going to get at least one share, just full disclosure, because a guy like like Deuce Vaughn that's like five five and ripping it up, like a, I can't just not enter a Saturday mm-hmm. without without at least one share of that. Um, but I think Brees Hall is a legit um, eighty six hundred and and worth using. I mean. Texas Tech is terrible against the run. Brees Hall is going to get at least 20 carries. He's averaging six yards a carry so far. He's just been automatic. He's been as good as he's been since he got to Iowa State and like was clearly um, underused in the early part of last season. Then we we just kept talking about, like, okay, this is the last time that we're going to see him under 6,000. This is the last time we're going to see him under 7. This is the last time we're going to see him under 8, depending on the matchup. So we're, we've reached that stage. Brees Hall is just so money in the bank. Um, I, I love the matchup for him. I think he's going to crush. So 8,600 definitely makes sense for him. Um, but the the tough part is just f- like navigating the, this middle tier. But there are some guys that I like. Kevin Harris, um, another South Carolina guy. So probably not putting him in your in your Colin Hill lineup. But he's running really well. And, and Vanderbilt just can't really stop a nosebleed on the ground. So uh, as Spencer Hall put, put it um, when he was watching the South Carolina-Florida game last week, uh, Kevin Harris is robusto, and I agree with that. He's he's a tough guy to bring down, so I like him a lot. Um, Sean Tucker, I'm very upset that DraftKings was so sharp with his pricing. He's at 6K going up against Duke. Um, they Duke is just not good defensively, especially against the run, so that that game actually might have the sneakiest amount of value of, of any game on this slate. So really keep an eye on this Duke-Syracuse game, whether or not going to be a factor with it being in the Dome. Sean Tucker looked great his, his last time out. Looks like he's going to be the starter for, for Syracuse moving forward. Uh, again, you're not getting a great deal on him the way that you were a couple weeks ago, but, I mean, he was down, like, almost min-price. Like, I think someone tweeted at me. I mentioned him in, in an article 
uh, 0.14% owned in a, in a tournament. So like completely under the radar, not the case anymore, but still I love that value. And then Tank Bigsby, um, it's a matter of how stupid Chad Morris is for Auburn, but if he's smart, he's going to give Tank Bigsby the ball, especially with how banged up the rest of those receivers are for Auburn. So Tank Bigsby is legit. He's the best running back that they've had since Carryon Johnson. It's not really that close. He looked he looked great against Georgia. I know he didn't have a ton of run, and I, I don't think that there were, the numbers necessarily bear it out. But I was scared every time he touched the ball against Georgia, and I think that Arkansas is going to have a much tougher time slowing him down than Georgia did. And then Isaiah Spiller at forty four hundred. I know that Aeneas Smith is like making more plays right now, especially in the passing game. But Spiller at forty four hundred. That I mean, that's you're going to get probably ten to fifteen carries out of him. Florida's defense, not that great. So um, I, I think that he's a decent value if you want to go down that way. And then um, one punt play near min price, 3,200 Zach Evans, the, the five-star freshman uh, for TCU. I think he's going to start to be more involved. One of these weeks he's going to go off and it's going to change the slate. It might be this week. Um, it might not, of course, but I, I think that I will continue as long as he's Humbering at that min price with the upside that he brings alongside of it. Um, he's someone that you should definitely consider if you want to bi- consider those kind of like crazier uh, lineup builds and going against Kansas State can't hurt either. I'd like to issue an apology to Tank Bigsby for not naming him to one of our all name teams so far. We don't have one this week uh, because we've kind of used up all the the active teams. It, we'll, yeah. re- we'll return. Yeah, we'll return once the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are back. But Tank Bigsby absolutely belongs on one of those teams. My goodness. How does Auburn always get the coolest named running backs? Yeah. Carry on. You know, I mean, handing it off to Tank? I mean, that that's boss. And then, I mean, you got, I mean, dating back to the Cadillac William days. Like, how do they find these yeah. guys? How do they yeah. find the coolest names? It's amazing. Yeah, I would argue just like just those three first names are, I mean, three of the like five best first names in, in the entire SEC during that run. I mean, that's like a 15-year span if we're going back to Cadillac. Unbelievable. I mean, I mean yeah. and again, like, if Carrion doesn't strike you right off the bat, like, think about it. He's a running back named Carrion. Like, that rocks. Right. That's amazing. Yeah, Carrion. Oh, yeah. Am I right? Mm-hmm. Um, at the receiver position, we'll finish out. Uh, we, we have only one player north of 8,000. That's Gunnar Romney at BYU, an extremely BYU name. I mean, yes. just unbelievably BYU. Gunner again. Yeah, seriously. Um, he's at 8,200. You have Shy Smith at South Carolina at 7,600. Joshua Moore at Texas, 7,500. Kyle Pitts, the tight end at Florida, 7,200. And of course, our man Charleston Rambo at Oklahoma, uh, priced at 7,000. Those are your top five. Um, and again, it, it kind of mirrors the, the running back position in some ways where you have that top five. Um, and then it's just a, a glut of guys in the, you know, 5,800 to 6,800 range. Yes. So, so again, really, really sharp, tight pricing this week. Um, Gunnar Romney, someone that they're making it really tough on you to, to make a lineup with Wilson and Romney. But I think that that's definitely a very legitimate way to, to find your way into cashing this week. It's just a, a matter of figuring out the rest of the slate, finding the value elsewhere. But I mean, I think that a, a Romney, Wilson stack is is really strong. I think a, a Romney Dax Milne stack or even Neil Pau. If I hope I'm not like completely butchering his name, um, but those are like the top three um, receivers for BYU. So those are guys that, that you should consider. The tight end's name is escaping. Isaac Rex um, is also someone to to keep an eye on. Um, he has a touchdown on on four targets thus far. So not a high volume guy, but but definitely touchdown potential um, with, with him going up against a, a team as bad as UTSA. Um, I think Shai Smith, to a lesser extent, you know, if you want to pair him with Colin Hill, that that definitely works. Or if you want to play him solo, um, he's pretty much a lock for ten plus targets. Maybe not as explosive as as Romney on a per target basis, but um, Vanderbilt should be able to help that. And and Shai Smith did have a lot of yards per target against Tennessee. I think Vandy's defense is is even worse than that, so that sets up pretty well for him. Josh Moore, 
um, burned a lot of people last week. He um, he suffered like a femoral contusion or something like so. He's he's kind of banged up, kind of disappeared from the game last week. Um, so if you're targeting that Texas receiving core, Jake Smith's the way to go. His price didn't go up. I think it went down um, from where it was a week ago. He's he's down at like 5,200, um, but he's he's someone that they're going to be targeting a ton. Texas is. Um, he's clearly someone that that Sam Ellinger loves to go to. Um, he's an ace out of that slot. Had a drop last week on a play that, that really could have been huge, but um, I like him a lot. Kiaris Jackson kind of came out of the woodwork last week, um, but he's really been doing it strong for the last two weeks, really. And Georgia, I know that George Pickens is a, a total value under 6K as well. I like him, but um, Kiaris Jackson, definitely worth considering. He was explosive last week. And then Billy Kemp, um, not great in terms of the per target, but... Virginia throws the ball a ton. Like that's why I like Virginia. They they run a ton of plays and they they have kind of like goofy usage. So like you're going to see Brendan Armstrong throwing it upwards of 40 times and running it upwards of 10 to 15 times and a lot of those targets are going to Billy Kemp. He's kind of getting the Joe Reed treatment from a year ago if you remember that. He was getting peppered with targets, not highly efficient with them, but when it's PPR that works. So especially on a week where you need to find some value, those are three guys under 6K that I love a lot. Um, Diami Brown and Daz Newsom, again, guys that are that are good by low candidates. Um, TJ Vasher being down at 4,600 for Texas Tech, even, even if Alan Bowman is out, I think that there's still going to be some production from that Texas Tech offense. It's just a, a you know product of the system thing. Taj Harris of Syracuse, if you want to get a part of that Syracuse passing game, he's the one to go for. And then I'll keep, you know, just like same with uh, Zach Evans, but J.D. Spielman, I, I will continue to have him in my lineups until, you know, the, the price dictates otherwise, because 3700 for a guy that talented, um, it's not going to last long. He's eventually going to break out. I know that Tay Barber and a couple other guys have been doing really well for TCU, but Spielman is probably the best receiver that they have. It's just a matter of time. Um, this week against Kansas State at 3700 especially, again, with the tight pricing this week, um, that's def- definitely something to uh, to look out for, too. All right. Everything that we've talked about today, uh, the basis for it can be found on rotowire.com. Navigate over to the college football tab. Uh, And if you haven't been on the site in a while, you'll see it's now divided up between fantasy, DFS, sports betting, uh, all very easy to navigate. You can find our our podcast archive there as well. All the news, all of our projections. John does an incredible job uh, wrangling all that week to week. And, you know, the usual FanDuel, DraftKings, breakdown articles will be coming uh, in in the next few days here. So make sure to keep an eye out for that. Uh, John, do you have any parting shots for the last uh, or as we head into week six? It's going to be a great week. Um, and then, you know, to underline that, uh, just as we were getting ready to sign off, uh, my girlfriend texted me that, that Shake Shack is open at the shopping center right next to my apartment. So um, this is a this is a huge moment for me. No way. Is this, is this brand new or it had been closed down? Uh, this is brand new. They're opening. They open one in in Hilldale. So, uh, I know where I'm going for dinner. Man, congratulations! I, I had thank no idea you, that you. was even happening. That's 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 just awesome news, man. Huge moment for me. So, um, <laughs> with that, it's burger time, baby. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.